Christmas dinner is always good, especially when someone else is cooking. Gather round and meet your new family. Eat hearty now. Hi, and welcome to the Dark Christmas Tales Advent Calendar. This tale is called Gravy, written by Angela Blythe and read by the author. I had been warned about my behaviour long before I went there. It was said that I was known as outspoken and curmudgeonly at the best of times. I had to make a good impression, and that got me into the outspoken and curmudgeonly mode straight away. I didn't like my natural, and as I thought, dry humour being suppressed. I suppose it was understandable. My daughter was married in the summer. It was a quick ceremony and only me, my wife and friends of my daughter attended. The fact was, she was pregnant. She still is. My new son-in-law's parents had been in Papua New Guinea at the time. Something to do with work. They'd been there since February and for some reason couldn't return for the wedding. Their work had finished so they returned with only three days to spare for Christmas. Naturally, they wanted to meet their new daughter-in-law. We had Christmas arranged for them both to come to us, but the in-laws, in their wisdom, invited all of us to their house so that they could meet us too. Without consulting me, my wife and daughter agreed. Don't get me wrong, I could see the predicament that my daughter was in, and more than likely would have agreed that this was the best course of action. It's nice to be asked though, isn't it? We offered to have them, of course, even though it's a lot of work to get everything together in a couple of days. But they insisted. They also told us that as they had been in a warm country for so long, they were really feeling the cold here, so weren't venturing out. How are they going to get the food in then? I asked my daughter, Ellie. Order online, I presume, Ellie said. They lived two hours away. Hence, at 8am Christmas morning, I found myself in the car with my wife, daughter and son-in-law. The boot was full of presents and my wife, Pauline, had prepared some food to add to the lunch. She also had a large poinsettia in a gift bag as an extra present for them. It was a lovely day for driving but I still saw it as a waste of some of my Christmas day. I would be wasting more later on the way back. Besides that, I'd gotten used to my Pauline's cooking. We know what we like. The turkey is a certain way. The gravy has to be of a certain consistency. Plenty of creamy bread sauce and sprouts with chestnuts and bacon. I knew it wouldn't be the same. That made me depressed too. When we got there, I was surprised to see that they had a huge home. I never asked you what your parents did, I asked Paul. Source gold and oil, things like that, Paul said, as if it was a typical kind of job. Bloody hell, Pauline, I said under my breath as we drove up the drive. Shh, Barry, she whispered. I parked up and we got everything out of the car. Paul walked before us and opened the front door. Mom, Dad, we're here, he shouted. We heard the sound of feet walking quickly towards us and up walked a thin man and woman 
They looked tired and worn, but very tanned. They both wore very obvious wigs. Their faces warmed into big smiles when they saw their son. All the introductions were made in the hall. Eileen and Pete seemed to take to Ellie straight away. Eileen showed Pauline and me into their enormous living room and put a tin of chocolates in front of us. She returned back to the hall to talk to Paul and Ellie. I couldn't hold it in much longer and burst out laughing. Did you see their syrups, Pauline? I asked through guffaws. Of course I did, Barry. You couldn't miss them. I knew as soon as I saw them that you'd be in hysterics, Pauline said. We could hear them catching up. I tucked into the chocolates to stop me from laughing. I can't smell turkey, can you? I asked. No, I can't either. At least we have hours to eat, Pauline said. The conversation continued in the hall. Mum, you've lost loads of weight. You have as well, Dad, Paul said. They don't have McDonald's in the jungle. Besides that, it's good for our joints now we're getting older, Eileen said. Talking of food, I should check on the lunch. Pauline gave me a wink. Pete, Ally and Paul came into the living room. I was twisting the chocolate wrappers in my hand. I didn't know where to put them. Give me those wrappers, Pauline said. I gave them to her and she walked out into the hall. She was hunting out the kitchen. She returned within a few minutes, sat down, smiled at Paul and Pete and told me what had happened. Don't worry about the food. You won't be disappointed. I went into the kitchen and offered to help. Eileen said she didn't need help because she had some. There were two natives in there from Papua New Guinea, Pauline whispered. I gasped and Pauline shoved another chocolate in my mouth to shut me up. They weren't doing any work though and the microwave was on. I asked where the bin was and Eileen pointed to the corner. When I put the wrappers in the bin, there are a load of empty food cartons from Marks and Spencer, Pauline said. They've got servants? I asked, perhaps a little too loudly. Home help, Pete said from the other side of the room. None of us is getting younger and they needed the work. We both smiled at him. Pete carried on his conversation. Eileen came in then with drinks and canopies. It was all a bit too posh for me. However, they seemed nice enough folk and as long as they were good to Ellie, that was all I was worried about. We spent a good time chit-chatting. Eileen asked Pete to take us into the dining room soon. She was be serving lunch. We sat in the dining room for a while. I told a few jokes which went down very well, I thought. Pauline had forbidden any that were slightly blue, so that was most of my usual routine out of bounds. Eileen returned and she was not alone. The two people from Papua New Guinea were with her. They both wore a kind of colourful dress. I think they were both men. They had big feet anyway, as they wore no shoes. All three of them had serving bowls, which they placed on the table. They returned twice more until the table was full. We began our lunch. No grace was said. The servants stood waiting in front of the door for us to finish, I presume. I felt a bit oppressed. How they stood suggested that they were keeping us prisoner rather than waiting to serve us. During the lunch, which, I admit, was first class, I noticed Paul whispering to Ellie. He gestured to us with his eyes. 
When she could, she whispered to Pauline, who whispered to me. Ellie says, Paul just told her that they never had wigs before today. He reckons that they must have got a weird jungle infection. Ellie said, tell dad don't keep bloody staring at them, Pauline whispered. She looked at me pointedly. I was staring at the wigs. I tried to fix my eyes to my plate. It was going to be a long day. Christmas pudding? Arlene asked. We all had just a little bit of room for pudding. I was feeling very drowsy by then, and I'd made sure I hadn't had a drop of alcohol, being the designated driver of my family, and especially my future grandchild. I was very happy. I felt like singing a few Christmas carols, in fact, but I didn't. I didn't have a bar humbug bone in my body. Pete began talking in a strange language to the Papua servants, who nodded and smiled. I nodded and smiled at them too. It was all I could do as I couldn't speak to them. What language is that, Pete? I asked. It's anger, their indigenous language, Pete said. So, was your expedition to Papua New Guinea successful? I asked. Yes and no, Pete said. For the business, yes. We discovered several mines and had traded with an excellent coffee bean grower. For us, not so much. Why? I asked. I saw Paul finish his pudding and begin to pay attention. They had not advised him of any problems. We got captured one night from our accommodation. Word got around the village that an English couple was staying nearby. A tribe came in and kidnapped us, Pete said. What? I exclaimed. Dad, how many times have I said that something like this is going to happen? Paul said. You have, son, and this time it did. You see, in the jungle, the rainforest, some tribes have never seen Western people. They've heard we exist, but have never seen them. There are many undiscovered species there too, Pete said. Never mind that. What happened? Paul asked. Eileen took up the story. There are many tribes and some are at war. They fight over hunting rights of certain rich patches. If they don't get the meat, mainly from marsupials, they have to eat roots and leaves, Eileen began. The tribe that took us, they weren't a bad lot at all. You see, another tribe had cursed them. Terrible things were happening to them. In the jungle, many tribes still practice sorcery. They call it Puri Puri. I know enough now to confirm that it was a curse that they were suffering. Their sorcery works. Go on, I said. This story was fascinating. I should be horrified, but as the story went on, I was just enjoying the tale. In fact, I had to wipe a smile off my face. I couldn't help smiling at the two fellows by the door. They kept smiling at me, and it was infectious. Pete cleared his throat. The other tribe told them that to end their curse, they had to bring five scalps from white people. The tribe who took us practised puri-puri themselves. Pete waited for us to catch up. So they cursed our family to get the scalps. They cursed you? And you lost your hair? Paul asked. No, I haven't explained it right, 
Pete said. What happened to you? How did the curse manifest itself with you? Paul asked. Unfortunately, it's not me who will suffer. That isn't how these things work. It's always the youngest member. That's the clever way that they do it, you see, because that way you'll always save them, Pete said. We looked at Paul, who was still trying to take it in. I could tell that he had been I could tell that he'd been overly happy before then. Well, how did you lose your hair then? Paul asked. Before they could answer, he then realised that he was going to get the full force of the curse. What's going to happen to me? Paul added. Then Ellie gave a cry. The baby! No! Ellie uttered in the smallest of voices. Hoping that it wasn't the little one inside her, but also dreaded that it wasn't her husband either. Yes, it's the baby. When we realised that you were pregnant, we were both so happy. We hadn't come across the tribe then, Eileen said. And to answer both your questions, Paul, we gave our scalps willingly. The curse will manifest itself with the child being born with the feet of a giant bird suffering constant pain as its skin burns and it slowly goes insane. That's what is happening to their children. Sadly, we've witnessed it. We won't do it. Even if what you say is true, surely curses can't work that many miles away, Paul said. That's why they came. To make sure it did, if required. If these two get the scalps, they'll return with them instead and our curse will be lifted. They'll give our scalps to the other tribe and their curse can be lifted too, Pete said. The four people who hadn't been in on this looked at the other two by the door. They smiled again. Weirdly, we all smiled back. We knew it would be hard for you to do. I put something in your food to make you more compliant. It has a meaty taste. I haven't asked what is in it. It was best hidden in the gravy, Arlene said. It also has the side effect of a terrific weight loss. As well as the massive weight loss of losing your scalp, I asked. I suppose that depends on how much hair you have, Ellie said. Your father's will be as light as a feather then, Pauline said. We all laughed. We all bloody laughed, including me. Whatever herbs or marsupial pool they had put in the Marks and Spencer's gravy were really kicking in now. It was damn good stuff. I felt like I was at the dentist. There are four of you, and we only need three scalps, Arlene said. Do you want to decide who the odd one out is? It was a no-brainer for all concerned. Ellie would be the one left with her head intact. Can we have a family picture before we start, while I still have my hair? Pauline asked. There then followed a lengthy session of phone selfies and group photos. All of us wanted the curse to be lifted. The ones having it done were drugged. The time for sorting through all this would be later when the drugs had worn off. I wondered how long it would take to get a wig delivered over the Christmas break. Who's first? Pete asked. Then we can get on with the day. I'll do it, I heard myself say. 
One of the men stepped forward. He lifted up his dress and was wearing Marks and Spencer pants. How bizarre, I thought. A sizeable crude knife was tucked into the waistband, which he proceeded to take out. He smiled and nodded, and for some reason, I did too. I knew what was happening, and I really didn't care. That was A Dark Christmas Tale, written and read by Angela Blythe. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about further stories in this series, or my other work, please go to www.angelablythe.com.